Hello, and welcome to The Key Podcast, where we talk about theology in every season of life. I'm your host, Sarah Evans, and together we're asking, if Christ is the key to everything, then what are the questions that we get to ask and the things we get to discover? Every fortnight, we discuss systematic theology in bite-sized portions, and along the way, together, we're learning to see and know God in every season of life, whether we're in the spotlight, on the edge, or simply being faithful in the mundane. I'm so excited to have you with us. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. So it is Ash Wednesday this week, and I thought I might offer a sort of little reflection on the day and the season that we are entering. I know not all of my listeners are um, in a liturgical church. Not everyone here celebrates Ash Wednesday. I shouldn't say celebrates Ash Wednesday. Celebrates on a great word there. (laughs) Um, Not everyone necessarily... um, references Ash Wednesday or participates in an Ash Wednesday service, let alone participates in the season of Lent, um, especially among my Protestant evangelical listeners. And I totally get that and I respect that, but I want to encourage you to keep listening because I think there are still some good things um, ahead for you that you might want to be thinking about and reflecting on. It just really is brought up by the fact that this week is Ash Wednesday, right? We have that this week, and we, um, those of us who are in liturgical traditions, will be probably attending some kind of service and having the imposition of ashes and whatnot, and then beginning the season of Lent as a whole in our kind of lead up to Easter. But first, we have to we have to go through the wilderness and the cross before we get to the resurrection. So I thought I would just um, offer a little reflection on that. And I know I could talk about all the things that Lent is, all the things that Lent means, the significant biblical imagery that's contained in an Ash Wednesday service and in the practices. But you can also find a lot of that stuff in an encyclopedia or a Google search, though of course I would caution you to read and search with a discerning eye, Um, because if you're reading something by a a person with a secular worldview, they are probably not going to have the same kind of tone that you might be looking for um, in wanting to research kind of the history, say, of Ash Wednesday or of Lent. So I could do that. And I think there's a lot of value, a lot of merit to doing that kind of a discussion and hearing that. But instead of going that route, it's pretty common among evangelical Protestants who are returning to liturgical practices. And so I don't think that's necessary for me to do today. Instead, I want to talk about participation in kind of the whole church calendar and in the life of Christ. And to do that, I want to briefly share with you about The Hobbit, which may seem like an unlikely source, but just come along with me uh, for the ride and I think you'll see what I'm getting at. So some of you might know that my family just spent four and a half years living in New Zealand. Uh, That was specifically while I was doing my PhD, but we did also stay on after I was done with my degree for a little bit longer. If you didn't know that that's what we were doing, well, now you do. Often when I mention that to people, they immediately jump to Lord of the Rings. One of their first questions is, did you go to Hobbiton? Did you do and see all of the Lord of the Rings stuff? Because I'm a huge Tolkien fan and I'd love to go to New Zealand. (laughs) 
<laughs> I usually sort of, you know, kind of laugh that off, um, depending on the person. Uh, I might try to explain how there are so many locations in New Zealand that it's frankly impossible not to have seen something from one of the movies. Um, or, you know, depending on how well I know them, I might actually share something specific, right? Like um, some of the places that we have been that are in the movies. But I also always tell people that it doesn't necessarily look like the movies because there aren't sets there anymore, right? There's no CGI'd orc coming at you with a sword and you're having to run um, and flee from that. There are some places that do look like it still. The Roaring Meg has this incredible, you know, turquoise blue color in the water. And so it really does look like the river that um, the Fellowship goes down. What is that? Is that the Anduin? Um, as they are coming to the edges of Gondor, right? But there's a lot of it that simply doesn't look like it at this point. The exception, of course, is Hobbiton. And we have been there and it was delightful to drink a pint in the Green Dragon. And there was something really very magical and moving about seeing the Hobbit holes and the party tree and walking through that area. It was, um, for someone who read Tolkien as a little girl, it was actually a kind of moving experience. I always feel really nerdy saying that out loud, but there you go, internet. <laughs> Here it is. Of course, J.R.R. Tolkien lived in England and not New Zealand. So though I do often share those memories with people, I'm always somewhat amused when people claim to be a huge Tolkien fan, but they've never once considered going to England, right? They don't talk about the rolling hills of Sussex on the South Downs, the gray winters of Northern England and the driving rain up there, or the old forests that have been cleared for our so-called age of progress, right? And even more so, we rarely talk about the man's religion, a deeply rooted, robust Catholicism. And that's not exactly necessary for this discussion. It's neither here nor there, really. It's just sort of me musing and rambling. And yet there is something about knowing the context of the man who wrote the novels that we so often reference in order to better understand them. And I think that's particularly true when we think about Bilbo, this unsuspecting hobbit who has a comfortable life. He's wealthy. Um, he's well off. His hobbit hole is described as being nice and dry and warm and full of all of the delights of life, right? It is a comfortable place. And yet he's taken up on this adventure, driven from his home in a sense, not quite to the same extent that Frodo is, but he's driven by uh, this sort of ancestry within him, his Tookish nature, and also the calling and the instigation of Gandalf and the dwarves, right? And I think when we know more about Tolkien, that really kind of stands out to us um, about the shift in his life um, and also the things that carry him through that adventure and his longing to come back home, right? And some of that I think is even caught up with uh, Tolkien's religion, right? His Catholicism. But again, that's not absolutely necessary for what I'm trying to get at tonight. 
this evening, today, whenever you're listening to the podcast. So let's get down to, to that. What I really want to talk about is a specific line that stood out to me recently in The Hobbit. We've actually read this book as a family several times over the last few years. Um, and my husband recently has been trying to read a small portion each night at bedtime. Um, we start, sort of uh, cycle through books that we do that with. And right now they're on The Hobbit. And we also recently bought Andy Serkis's recording of the book on Audible, and it is excellent. I would highly recommend you look that up. It's just so delightful. The words really come to life, the descriptions of places that they go, the, the battles that are fought, the escapes that occur, and the voices that Andy Serkis does for each character really offer them depth and individuality. It's it's magic to listen to. And it always piques my interest to hear how someone else voices certain sections. Like for instance, Bilbo's inner dialogue to which we're often privy. Circus uh, accentuates or emphasizes different words, different uh, nuances, different pauses, right? With commas or full stops. He does it differently than I do. And so it's like the text is being given a whole new interpretation amidst his masterful reading. I really love it. And, and I'm not getting anything out of making this plug for his reading. It's just so good, you guys. I would totally recommend you look it up. And recently while driving, we were actually listening to his reading of it. And we listened to a section where uh, Bilbo sort of mischievously confronts Smog the dragon. Bilbo's really hitting his stride as an adventurer and a burglar, right? We're like two thirds of the way through the book at this point. Um, and he's really kind of coming into his own. Tolkien even says that now Bilbo has become the chief leader of the party. And his discussion with Smaug highlights that as he bounces among riddles the way Nutkin danced up and down like a sunbeam before Old Brown and Beatrix Potter's children's books, if that gives you any kind of an imagery of the way that he's talking is almost like he's moving um, with his words. He's dancing around. He's clever and energetic. He's thoughtful and amusing. And um, he's he's really getting underneath the dragon's skin with what he's saying. And he's not afraid. He's really going after it in a lot of ways. And yet he's doing it mischievously, right? He's teasing in the way that he's going about this. He manages to wind his way through the long journey from Bag End without giving away who he is or how he's arrived at the Lonely Mountain. Of course, Bilbo does make a few slips, right? So he's doing really well, but he does slip up here and there. And then he makes one last jab as he prepares to exit this great cavernous hall which houses the dragon's horde. And he's treated to a brief taste of Smog's wrath. And in reflection, he scolds himself. And Tolkien has him saying, Never laugh at live dragons, Bilbo, you old fool, he said to himself. And it became a favorite saying of his later and passed into a proverb. You aren't nearly through this adventure yet, he added. And that was pretty true as well. It's that last bit which really struck me as I listened to Circus reading the other day. You aren't nearly through this adventure yet. And I thought to myself, that's what Ash Wednesday and Lent are all about. You see, we just celebrated the incarnation, right? The arrival of Christ. 
we had Christmas tide and then we had Epiphany and these grand seasons of joy and jollification. And we present one another with gifts, we eat rich food, we take time off to spend days at home with family and friends, or we even travel to see family and friends. We feast in every possible manner, right? Not just our ap- our food appetites, but our appetites visually um, and sensorially and with our smells, right? People have things that they pull out like candles specifically for this season, right? Every part of ourselves is immersed in celebration and there's a rich sense of jubilee in these past couple of months. And that is rightly placed. I told my girls today that Christmas, the incarnation and epiphany, these are seasons and reasons to celebrate. They are such good things that we are remembering in this season because Christ has come and he has begun to overturn everything that is sorrowful. But then we come to Lent and our joy at Christ's coming is confronted with the reality of why he comes. Christ comes. He comes to save, but he must save because we have sin. It's like Bilbo. We've hit this point in our story where we can sense victory. We can almost taste it. Triumph is just before our very eyes. The treasure of the dragon is right in front of us. It's about to be returned to its rightful owner. We can glimpse it, smell the tang of the metal on the moist air. We might even reach out and brush our fingers along the gilded edges. Excuse me. But then the dragon speaks. The dragon in the sin of our own heart, the dragon in the sorrow and evil which permeates the world. And in that moment, we're reminded Christ has come, but we aren't nearly through this adventure yet. Lent then, it's this ongoing remembrance of our sorrowful state. We're caught up in sin and torn as we do the things we don't want to do and we fail at the things we desire to do and to become. We're delighted that Christ is here, but we are remorseful that he had to come in this manner and for this reason. I also thought that Bilbo's comment was insightful in another manner with relation to the church here. I had one of the best conversations with an older theologian recently. It was incredible. And I'll probably try to get her permission to talk about it at some point because it was just so good for me, for my soul, and for uh, a lot of things I've been thinking about. She put words around a concept with which I'd really been wrestling. We were discussing the nature of the church calendar and liturgical practices. And she pointed out that the early church wanted to participate in the life of Christ. I think that word participate is really significant. Their whole lives were all about participating in Christ. They were intent on becoming like him by sharing in what he did. And the way to do that, of course was the church year, the liturgical calendar, which marks the major aspects of Christ's life and ministry. And the church did this year in and year out as a way of sharing in the life of Christ and participating in who Christ was and who he promises to be for us. And I thought, yes, that's what I've been trying and failing to say. I think Bilbo also hits on this. 
we aren't nearly through this adventure yet. We have to go to the desert with Christ. We have to go and experience the temptation, walk along the Via Dolorosa with him, see the suffering that he endures and the perfection and the fullness of life, which he exudes and we cannot. And we see this every year as we walk through the darkness and the ashes of Lent. We aren't through it. We aren't at Easter yet. And we aren't at the end of the age yet either. So we keep walking with Christ from his birth to his ministry, to his trials and his crucifixion, and only then to the resurrection. Lent reminds us we aren't nearly through this yet. We have to keep walking with Jesus. It isn't over yet. And then there's another thing about the church calendar, right? We do it again and again and again and again. If you were born and raised in a liturgical tradition, you might walk through these habituated patterns of life and celebrations for like 80 years. Guys, that's 80 times weaving around this loom of Christ's life in the church. Why does that matter? Why is that significant? Why would we want to walk those smooth, worn pathways over and over again and again? Well, friend, I would say it's because you and I are slow learners. We are being transformed, yes. And the Spirit will bring this good work to completion in us. Yes, I fully agree with that. And it is true. We are sanctified now. We are called children of God. We are set apart. We are the holy ones, right? There is a position that has been changed, a new identity that has been given, right? In Christ, something new is true of us about who we are and our holiness. And yet we know that we are still being transformed, right? We are still growing into the likeness of Christ. And not only that, but we know we are slow to be changed. Bilbo in this conversation with Smog gets off his footing, right? As he's talking with Smog and he's being um, intelligent and thoughtful, he's also making some slips. He's cheeky and unwise. He says things that he later regrets, There are things he says carelessly without thinking. They are unintentional because he's just kind of on a roll. And those slips of the tongue have repercussions for not only him and his companions, but the people of Lake Town and Eskorov, and even at the Battle of the Five Armies, which occurs, right? He gets too confident. He's lured in by the dragon's sort of false admiration and engagement with him. And even Smog's own arrogance, which Bilbo can see, but he can't recognize how that is mirrored in himself, right? And so he makes mistakes. He slips up. He's too cocky. He's too cheeky. And he makes a mistake. And so Bilbo chides himself as he leaves the cavern. Never laugh at a live dragon, and you aren't nearly through this adventure yet. Friends, let's be honest, 
even on our best days, we have a long way to go on this road of sanctification. I know it deep, deep in me. I have no merit. Even my best is really quite a failure. Lent reminds us we are dust. And though we may go to the desert with Christ, only he triumphs over Satan. And though we may be carried through the waters like Noah, only Christ walks upon the waters. Ash Wednesday reminds us that we're not nearly through this adventure yet. And Lent is that leg of the journey when things seem to be their darkest. And yet, we know we will get through this. We aren't nearly through this adventure yet. It isn't over yet, but it will end. And Christ himself welcomes us in the resurrection, right? Christ triumphs over Satan. Christ walks upon the waters of chaos. Christ is the resurrection and the life, right? So we know it will end and we know that there is hope at the end of the journey. So as we are entering the season of Lent, whether or not you are in a liturgical church that intentionally observes it, as we are walking the path to the cross over the next several weeks, I want to encourage you to be realistic, to remember the darkness in ourselves and in the world around us, to not be escapists, but to look it full in the face. Just like Bilbo looks at the dragon, Bilbo is invisible when he looks at the dragon, friends, just like you are hidden in Christ. We can look death in the face, but it has no claim on us. I want to encourage you to have hope, to approach the throne of grace with confidence, and to long for our warm home, our hobbit hole, our cozy space, which we are all looking forward to in the presence of God as we mark this season together. Grace and peace to each of you, my friends. Friends, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of The Key. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. It really helps others to find the podcast. And that's actually the goal, to share the gospel and make theological education available for the benefit of the church in every season. If you want to get in touch, head on over to the website, thekeypodcast.org. You can also check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thekeypodcast. There, you'll find exclusive episodes, a book club, and materials for members. Also, I really love hearing from listeners, so please sing out and get in touch if you want. Until next time, God's grace and peace to each of you.